Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Good to see you all in worship this morning. If you're new, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. If you're new, you may not recognize uh, I had a cold earlier this week. I'm still trying to get over. It uh, made me think of something I saw Pete Enns, a biblical scholar, post on Facebook about a week ago. I kind of resonated with it. It says, true or false, and I'm going to put my name in here. When David is sick, he is very, very brave and does not complain about anything or feel sorry for himself. (laughs) Family members not permitted to comment. (laughs) If you would bear with me this morning. Fifth Sunday of Lent, that's where we're at. We've been in this Lenten series called Seeking God's Ways. We are exploring the higher ways of God. And according to Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we want to understand in this series what God's higher ways look like. So we might repent of our own way, believe in the gospel, and follow the way of Christ as we welcome more of his kingdom upon the earth. And again, if you've missed any messages in this series, you can check those out online at granthamchurch.org or follow our podcast. We began this series by looking at how God calls us to move from security to generosity, from fear to compassion, from earning to receiving, and then last week we saw how God invites us to move from exceptionalism to inclusion in the way of Jesus, which brings us to our fifth installment, from scarcity to abundance. That is, moving from a mindset that there isn't enough to living with full trust in God's ability to provide all that we need and more if we'll repent of the narrative of scarcity that enslaves us. As you'll see uh, in your bulletin this morning, there's a summary of this message. It was in the wilderness that God addressed the scarcity mindset that Israel had learned as slaves in Egypt. He needed to free them from this bondage if they were going to trust in him and receive his abundant provision. And then, as we'll see this morning, it's in the feeding of the 5,000. The gospel writers want us to discover Jesus as the source of God's endless supply of resources as he calls us to view the world through his eyes. But before we go any further, would you pray with me? And pray for me, if you would. Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity to come together and worship. 
to resist the narrative of scarcity, to resist the forces that would have us get our identity from our work, from the things that we do or don't do. We thank you for your grace, Lord, and we pray that you would pour it out on us this morning as we open up our hearts to you. Lord, to be challenged, Holy Spirit, maybe to be convicted, but ultimately, Lord, to be inspired and encouraged and to know the hope that we have in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would, grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip to verse 10 and read 10 through 17. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in whatever version you have in front of you, in the pew, uh, Bible, or on your phone. And if you would, in honor of the Scripture, would you stand as we read that together? Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Lord, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for the whole crowd? There are about 5,000 men there, Luke tells us. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Remember when Lana was pregnant with our second child, Judah, 
that we had this conversation at least once, what would it be like to love a second? Is almost as if, is there enough love to go around? And for those of you who are parents, you can probably re- relate to that in your naivete, you know. You're not having experienced that before. You, you might wonder, uh, can we love a second or a third or a fourth as much as we do or did the first? You know, this scarcity mindset shows up in lots of ways in our life, doesn't it? And maybe there's not enough to go around. You know, that's what we see Jesus confronting with his disciples in our main scripture reading today, this scarcity mindset. So let's go back now and quickly walk through this text together. You may just keep your Bible open there to Luke chapter 9. I won't read all the verses again. I will read some of them, but just make some comments. So you can just follow along, and I'll try to capture sort of the main idea of what's happening so we understand the context here. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Look there in the text and notice that Jesus commissions the twelve to do what they had seen him do in his ministry. Like all good teachers, they don't just stand at the front, write some things up on the board, and talk constantly. But at some point, at some point, the teacher gives the students an opportunity to prove that they have learned some things. And this is what Jesus does here with his twelve. He sends, sends them out, Luke says specifically, to cast out demons, because Jesus had been doing that, to heal the sick. <laughs> that, would, that would have been a pretty big deal. Jesus had been doing that. And proclaim the kingdom of God. So to preach, to probably speak that God had sent his Messiah even. So notice Jesus, though, also here in verses 1 and 2, in telling them and commissioning them what to do, prioritizes and holds together both physical needs and spiritual needs. You know, it's unfortunate that we have churches today that choose to do one of those, but not both. We want to do both here at Grantham, amen? Verse 3 and 4, look what Luke tells us there. Basically, Jesus here wants his disciples to trust God with what they will eat when he sends them out. Don't take this, don't take that, right? Just go by faith. He wants them to trust God for what they'll eat, for what they'll wear, and where they'll sleep each night. Again, remember, uh, this is the teacher showing his apprentices how to trust God, how to live by faith in this exercise. They must rely upon God working through others. Sometimes hard to do that, but we, we must trust that God can. Verse 5, Jesus doesn't want them, you'll notice there in verse 5, to take rejection personally. Who needs to hear that this morning? To not take rejection personally. When someone says, get out of here with that mess, you know, I'll take a miracle, but forget this message about the kingdom. We don't like that. Jesus said, don't take that personally. Rather, entrust people to God and give them over to their choices. I know that doesn't sound so great, but, you know, that's in fact what God does with us. 
God respects us in that way. He created us in His image as free-willed beings. We get to choose our own adventure. <laughs> we, we get to carve out the path that, that we want to a certain extent. I know there are limits on that to our freedom, but, but we have it. And uh, as we see in Romans 1 and in other places, this principle of reaping what we sow or God giving people over to their sinful behavior and choices, Jesus wants to remind them, don't take it personal, right? You have a task, know who you are in me, what I've called you to do, and leave the results to me, right? That, that part you're not responsible for. And so this is the whole business of shaking the dust off your feet. You know, you can, you can see a literal image there of, <laughs> right, and walking away. This is what Jesus tells them to do. Verse 6, you'll see that Jesus gives them a circuit of towns to visit. Luke doesn't tell us where exactly he told each of them to go, but they have maybe a, maybe a little map. You need to go here and then you go here, right? They have a plan to travel around, to do the work of Jesus, and then report back. In verse 10 and 11, they do report back. They report back, and Jesus intends to retreat with them, to debrief further, and possibly to teach them more. But, you got to love this, the retreat is interrupted. <laughs> and Jesus is willing to change his plans. Amen. Thank God for that. Thank God that he accommodates us. Yet Jesus still receives them. He'll use it to further his lesson to the disciples about God's provision. Now look at verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing here to eat in this remote place. I think it's worth pointing out and noting here that the disciples aren't being heartless. They care, right? I, I, I want to believe that all of us in here, we care about people's needs. And, you know, we, we should, again, as I said, notice that them sending them away is, in a way, caring for them. They, they seem to truly care and they want to do the right thing. At least what they perceive to be the right thing. We need to know that God, in his wisdom, sees things that we can't. His will often looks different than what we might imagine it to be. And so we need to be open to God showing us something different, as he will the disciples here. Verse 13 and 14, Luke tells us, But Jesus said, you feed them. Now, you imagine how that must have felt to hear these words from Jesus. Right? They're not even thinking on that level. They don't even know what Jesus means at first. Jesus gives a shocking reply. The crowd was very large. Luke told us, told us that there are about 5,000 men, so possibly more. And they're not counting the, men, the women and the children here. Yet Jesus expects them to use what little they have and give it to God so he can multiply it. Verse 15 and 16. So the people... All sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. Matthew in his gospel tells us a boy had this. So they, they, they I don't know, sometimes they went out and said, anybody have any food? Raise your hand. And there's this little boy and he has five loaves and two fish. 
And so they take it and say, this is all we got. See, I told you, we got to send these people away. I and mean, that's kind of what I see in this. And yet Jesus is still adamant. He's not given up on what he intends to do here. Guys, have them all set down in groups of 50. Why 50? We're not sure. Sounds like a good number, I guess. Have them sit down. You're going to feed them. This is clearly, if look what happens here. It's a prefiguring and a foreshadowing of the Eucharist. That's right. It's, an, it's another name we give communion or the Lord's Supper. Eucharist in the Greek literally means thanksgiving. The good gifts of God that we are thankful for. Jesus breaks the bread. Again, a prefiguring and a foreshadowing of communion. He also did this on the road to Emmaus. Remember, they, they notice, I, I figure they notice his, the scars on his hands, that this is Jesus. Their eyes are opened, that this, this is the Son of God raised from the dead. And so that's what Jesus does. He breaks the bread. He asks God to bless the little bit that they have and for God to provide abundantly for all those in need. And then lastly, verse 17, they all ate as much as they wanted. The picture that we have here is Jesus keeps reaching in the basket and pulling out more. He's like Mary Poppins on steroids, you know, if you've seen that. Some of you kids will have to go back and watch that movie. Just keeps pulling things out of the bag. And, and, and there's no end. There's no limit to God's provision. The language of verse 17. They ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. This is a clear allusion to Exodus 16. Notice the excess which not only says something about God's provision, but it also references the leftovers in Exodus 16. In fact, this entire episode ought to be seen in an eschatological, that is sort of a, a last day's future sense, as a reenactment of the Exodus 16 wilderness experience. You'll recall what happened there. I think I've already mentioned or referred to this story once in this series. In Exodus 16, God provides quail and manna for the people in the wilderness to eat. Remember they complaining? They said we should just go back to Egypt. We never should have left there. At least we knew we had a, we had, uh, you know, a meal for breakfast and lunch and dinner. Never had to worry about that. And here we are, you know, because we're out here trusting our fearless leader. And this is what God does in response to their complaining and in response to their prayers and hearing Moses ask God for help. He provides quail and manna each day. Now, because they're coming out of a scarcity mindset, which is what the culture and society of Egypt, the Egyptian empire taught them, there's not enough to go around. That's what empires do, right? They hoard the best for themselves and not share with others. It's a scarcity mindset. And the people of God learned that in Egypt. And so what do they do with the manna? They hoard it. They try to store it up. Because who knows if we'll have something to eat tomorrow. Can we really trust God that he's going to provide our daily bread. 
And so notice you can take the people, you've probably heard this, it may sound a bit cliche, but it's true. You can take the people out of Egypt, but you still have to get Egypt out of the people. And God knows this, God sees this, and this is what he intends to do. And so one of the ways of responding to this scarcity mindset is Moses instructs them to rest on the Sabbath. There's going to be a day that we don't work, we don't collect the food and save up. Moses instructs them to rest on the Sabbath as a way of trusting God and resisting the mindset of scarcity. In an article entitled The Liturgy of Abundance, The Myth of Scarcity, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann said this regarding Exodus 16, this passage. He said, three things happened to this bread in Exodus 16. First, everybody had enough. But because Israel had learned to believe in scarcity in Egypt, people started to hoard the bread. When they tried to bank it, to invest it, it turned sour and rotted because you cannot store up God's generosity. Finally, Moses said, you know what we ought to do. We ought to do what God did in Genesis 1. We ought to have a Sabbath. Brueggemann says, Sabbath means that there's enough bread. We don't have to hustle every day of our lives. There's no record that Pharaoh ever took a day off. Neither did his slaves, of course. People who think their lives consist of struggling to get more and more can never slow down because they won't ever have enough. And isn't that how we've been conditioned today in our consumeristic society and culture? We're always wanting more. What we have is not enough, or we worry about the day we won't have enough. And all of this gets rooted in our identity. So we feel that we are not enough. We need to be more, to do more. And this scarcity mindset doesn't allow us to accept and live into the higher way of God's abundance. That's why, my friends, we need to hear the gospel, the good news, that Jesus graciously invites us to leave this bondage and live freely into his way of trusting God and experiencing that he is enough for us. He is enough for our families. He's enough for our church. The scarcity mindset would look around and say, well, we're lacking this, and we don't have that. And what about that? And will we ever see these people again? It's a scarcity mindset. And God calls us to a mindset of abundance. He calls us to see that God can take five loaves and two pieces of fish and feed 5,000. For he'll not only meet our needs, but provide abundantly so that everyone can enjoy this sort of life. The question is, will we believe in this God who can do great things? Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. Many of you probably have this memorized. Jesus says, in his own words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, speaking of the sheep, speaking of Israel, God's people, 
may have life and have it abundantly. The Greek word there, it means to to go over and above, uh, more than is necessary. Life that is superior, extraordinary, uh, surpassing and uncommon. In the context, Jesus is speaking, the, the thief here, to kill, still kill and destroy, about the religious leaders, right? The shepherds of the people of Israel of the day. And all those who claim to know the truth, truth and, and to offer life, wisdom, and salvation apart from Christ himself. And Jesus said, he is the door to the sheep pen. If you want to get to God, if you want to come into the kingdom, into the way of the kingdom, to accept the economy of the kingdom, a mindset uh, of abundance, right? You have to come through Jesus. And so Jesus is calling us through these words and in the feeding of the 5,000 as the fulfillment of Israel's lesson of trusting God for sustenance and provision to move from scarcity to abundance in the way we think, pray, work, and follow him. Let's consider what that might look like. It's just a way of comparison to help us get the point here. Let's compare the mindset of scarcity with that of abundance. First, the mindset of scarcity is based in fear. It's based in fear. And you often have heard the, the opposite of fear and people list a number of things. I, I really believe the opposite of fear is faith. And at the root of faith is love because God is love. So at the very center of faith is love. So the scarcity of mindset is based out of fear of not being enough, of not having enough. And the mindset of abundance is one that is built upon trust in God, which I think is also connected to trusting people, which we don't do a very good job of today. Everybody has an angle. Right? We have a few bad cops, they're all bad. We have a few sexual predator teachers, they're, they're all suspect. We have a few egocentric pastors and we can't trust anybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> this is where we are today. One is based in fear. One is based in faith and in trust and in God's love. Let's keep going. One looks like cynicism. The other one looks like being hopeful. The gospel, this is what I'm saying, the gospel rejects the nihilistic Nietzschean worldview. It calls us to hope. The mindset of scarcity sees problems. The mindset of abundance sees possibilities. The mindset of scarcity works 24-7. The mindset of abundance works 24-6. And accept Sabbath as a resistance to the culture of scarcity, Brueggemann says. A mindset of scarcity is about competition. A mindset of abundance is about collaboration. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. The workers are few. There's plenty of kingdom work to go around. We're not competing with the churches down the road. We're not competing with each other in our spiritual giftings. We're on the same team. The mindset of scarcity resists change, hates it, despises it, is grumpy and grumbles and complains about it. The mindset of abundance sees change as an opportunity for growth. 
sees that it is a natural part of life, what will we do? What mindset will we bring to it? And as we see here in Luke chapter 9, the mindset of scarcity says, send them away. The mindset of abundance says, you feed them. Or maybe we, should, we could say, we will feed them. Thank God for our ministry partners, which we give money and resources, time and energy to, right? It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. But I've been sensing the Lord speaking to me about this and on, a, on a, just a, a broader level as we survey the landscape of Christianity in America and the state of the church. I really strongly believe that if the church of the future is not enmeshed within its own community, the church will not exist. Another way to put that, and I've heard somebody put it this way as a form of a question, if our church was to disappear tomorrow, would our neighbors notice? Make me one way to get to that. Instead of sending them away, Jesus says, you feed them. What's the five loaves and the two fish? What are the needs? How do we meet them? Questions that we should be asking. And then lastly, we could think of it this way. A mindset of scarcity is self-absorbed. Like fearful, anxious people have to be to get there, right? But a mindset of abundance is about generosity. And look at this, folks. Generosity is born of an abundance mindset. Take a look at this list. How is the Spirit speaking to you about your mindset lately? I trust that the Spirit is speaking to your heart even now as it did mine as I prepared this message. The Lord wants to give us an abundance mindset that we might know his peace and walk in his joy and see him provide for all of our needs. Finally, as a way to sum up these things within the entire biblical story and to help us to better understand what it looks like to move from scarcity to abundance, let's watch this creative animation from the Bible Project. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host, and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture. But it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. 
And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. And scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift 
the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. God is the generous host. Here are some questions for us to think about to help us reflect and respond to what we've heard this morning. Number one, in what ways does your thinking and behavior reflect a scarcity mindset as it relates to your personal life and decision making? Think about that for a moment. And then number two, how might this message apply to our church? How is the Spirit calling us to move from scarcity to abundance in ministry, in the way we do ministry, as we seek to lead others to the God who looks like Jesus? As we've been doing each week in this series, would you please join me now as we close this message with this responsive prayer? Your ways, O oh God, are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We seek God's ways. Lord, move us from our scarcity mindset so that we might live into your abundance. As we walk with Christ on this Lenten journey, let us see your way more clearly and follow your way more faithfully. Amen. Amen.